Hello, welcome to the Scotch and Smokes podcast. This is episode number six. My name is Brian. I'm Seth. And I'm Jesse. This is a fan podcast about Mad Men, and you can find us on the web at madcast.net. And you can look for us on iTunes and Facebook if you look up Scotch and Smokes. Send us a message or uh, leave a note on our website if you have any comments about certain episodes. For this episode, we'll be talking about the Season 5 Mad Men episode, At the Codfish Ball. Does anyone have any starter comments before we get into things? It was a very interesting episode, and I'm uh, looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, I would agree, and I would say that it was... I thought it was Sally, Little Sally's episode, and she's such an interesting character. I think the first thing to bring up is the fact that Sally is getting more airtime than Betty this season. I like that she's in the show. Seth, you often point out that the older people are so wise. I think she is the perfect counterpoint and counterbalance to that, where she sees and hears things, and this episode certainly saw things, and her eyes just widen, and you see her learning. Yeah, she's maturing. She's maturing on the screen. And speaking of maturing, did everybody take a look at uh, the guy who plays Glenn Bishop, who happens to be Matt Weiner's son? Yeah. Uh, boy, he got tall and thin. He looks great. Yeah, the thing with Sally is that, to me, she was always the one of the lone truth-tellers in this series. She said what the truth was. She didn't bullshit the way Don and, and everybody else did, the way adults do. Um, she spoke very, very plainly. But here we see her engaging in lying. I mean, she lied to Don and to everybody else. She said Pauline fell over one of the little Jean's toys. She didn't say that she was talking to Glenn, which her mother wouldn't like. I don't know what Pauline would have thought of it. And there was a cord, uh, a telephone cord that Pauline uh, tripped over, not one of Jean's toys. Of course, we did see... Sally steal money from Grandpa Jean's room one time, and, and she lied about that too. But uh, generally, she was a truth teller. And here we're finding that she's maturing. She's getting older. She's probably jumped a few generations by being able to go to that dinner uh, and seeing what she saw. But um, I guess it's her entry into adulthood, or, or certainly young adulthood. Yeah, I agree. On a side note, as I tend to take us on there it did bring back many memories of growing up at the household where i would take the phone the long long cord and bring it to the room so i could talk to a friend you know because the idea of having multiple phones in a house was just unbelievable back in the 70s when i was in high school or junior high and i can't even imagine the middle 60s right so that brought back a lot of fun memories of just taking the phone and bringing it into the room and hey where's the phone yeah you're right that is a fact of family life that we completely i think have forgotten about now with cell phones as far as sally i will repeat the line that my friend charles gag said that he believes mad men is the story of how sally became a stripper <laughs> and this certainly was a traumatic episode if we cut to the money shot so to speak of uh -huh. sally seeing her grandmother um, being incredibly nice, giving, shall we say, to Uncle Roger, who was treating Sally kind of like his date. In fact, he had said, you're my date. Every business card I get is going into this little purse. So uh, mm -hmm. her eyes got very wide after opening that door. And I guess the other thing about Sally is that when Sally appears 
in front of Don and Megan and Megan's parents in the apartment before they're going to the cancer ball. She comes out and she's breathtakingly beautiful. She looks great in those boots and she's wearing makeup. And of course, Don reacts to her the way he kind of reacted to Betty a number of seasons ago when Betty put on a bikini to go to the pool when he was going off to work. And he said, no, take it off. You're not going to the pool that way. Similarly, he says to little Sally, no, take off the makeup and no, take off those go-go boots that you're wearing. So while Sally is trying to assume the role of Betty, I think, in many ways, she's shot down again by Don, who shot Betty down the same way a few seasons before. Yeah, he acted as a, I guess, a lot of fathers have done universally, right, when they're seeing their little girl growing up too quick. And I thought he was really kind to her at the end when he said, there will be a time when you'll do this and you'll look gorgeous, but, um, you know, not tonight. Right, right, right. Of course, you know, is there anybody better to protect the daughter than Don Draper, who is, as we all know, a a major philanderer. (laughs) And um, is anybody more aware of what little Sally is going to face in a few years than her father? Exactly. Let's keep on the father and parents theme. And this episode had a deft way of having a certain mirroring of the different A and B stories with the, the different parents that were involved. There was Peggy's very judgmental mother, there was Megan's parents. They oh, <laughs> talk about characters. Oh wow, those are those are great. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I really liked how they did it on this this episode, as opposed to the previous episode, which again I had some issues with with how they seemed to almost like banging over your head with like trying to force certain symbols and to make them match. I thought this one more subtle, and you were able to just kind of get your own opinions and conclusions to how all these things are supposed to link together. What are your opinions of, well, you can take whichever one you want first, but um, any of the parents? It's interesting. We saw how Joan reacted to Peggy Olson's news that the proposal was actually a not a marriage proposal, but a move-in proposal. And I thought she was very supportive. She was very kind. She was very nice. And of course, this is coming from a woman who realizes that marriage isn't always all that it's cracked up to be, her own marriage um, having dissolved. And then, of course, we saw the more traditional view, Peggy's mother, who essentially called her daughter a, a slut or a whore. Actually, she literally called her a target practice for Abraham, who she calls Abraham. Of course, Abraham being Jewish, in fact, the Old Testament says that Abraham was the first Jew. And I thought that was interesting because is this the first Jew that uh, Peggy's mother has ever dealt with? Is it the first Jew that Peggy's ever dealt with? I don't know. You know, just just playing around with names there. But that was pretty interesting to see how how time has passed. I mean, if somebody said you're going to live with a, a man when this series started back in the earlier 60s, it would have been scandalous. Now you have Joan saying, yeah, wonderful. It's great. But of course, you still have Peggy's mother saying, no, it's terrible. Yeah, I thought that was really well played. Peggy's just convinced that he's going to break up with her. And I love that she went to talk to Joan and Joan gave her very good counsel. I found that most men don't schedule a dinner for breakups. It's usually a proposal and you need to be ready with what you're going to say, especially if the answer is no. 
wonderful scene where Peggy, in her eyes, she's kind of, okay, this isn't a proposal of the kind I was expecting. And she doesn't show her disappointment till the end when they're looking at the menu and she says, I do. <laughs> yes. Not in yeah. the concept that she planned on saying I do. Right. Right. I thought that was a terrific yeah. delivery, terrific line. I was surprised that Joan was so supportive. Glad to see it. Not shocked at all by the mother. First off, making a comment, really? You're cooking a ham? Right. You know, it's <laughs> ham. It's like uh, you get you a cat. It lasts 15 years. You get you another cat. It lasts 15 years. And then what does it matter? They did not, yeah. not do the cliche, why buy the cow when you get the milk for free? But right. that was certainly the implication. And this is a major shift of you know society. And I just thought they did it very well. And it was very interesting to kind of see the dynamics. Now, one thing they didn't bring up, and if you didn't watch the show previously to the season, you would have no idea that Peggy has a child which she gave up for adoption. Or did she Did it? She give it to her sister or, or uh, what was the circumstance? She gave it to her sister, yeah. I believe that that is an impression a lot of people got, but I believe that is a separate child. That is not the one that it was. And I wouldn't swear to it, but it, it seems like based on Matthew Weiner's interviews that he says, you know, Peggy's child's gone. It's not going to come up again. Okay. Well, regardless, they didn't have any, at least that I could tell, any dialogue or any reference of the mother mentioning any of that in her statements or her attitude to Peggy. Like, there was no, you had this happen to you already, and now you're going to do this. There was none of that. And I could have brought that up. She could have easily brought that up. And that's ammunition, and Mm. it's in her quiver. She doesn't, but she didn't bring it up. And I don't know if there was a reason for that or if it just seemed like, well, Maybe it was just unnecessary for the purpose of the scene. I don't know. But I was almost waiting for her to have some comment because Abe was gone at that point. She could have said anything. Yeah. Bringing that up, that mortal sin of a child out of wedlock, that's a theme that came up, remember, I guess a season or two ago when uh, Peggy was getting very friendly with the father, played by Tom Hanks's son. And her sister, Peggy's sister, was pretty upset about the whole thing because they were acting as if Peggy had not had a child out of wedlock, but in fact she had, and she wanted the father to know this. And she subtly made sure that he did, and that kind of poisoned the well between the father and Peggy. So I'm thinking maybe it's just such a heinous crime in the Olsen household Mm -hmm. that, that her mother is just has sort of put it out of her mind at this point. It's such a terrible yeah. thing. I think I just realized why I felt the omission of it. And that's because in the episode, I think, two prior, mm-hmm. when Joan is talking to Greg and she brings up the heinous crime and she says, you need to feel like a man and and you know what I'm talking about. Right. That simple line was enough to say, oh, yes, she hasn't forgotten something that happened, but it oh, did happen. In, in Don's office. The right, rape. right. Yeah. And when the mother was there, I was expecting something similar out of her mouth, like, you know, you were doing this and you've already been stung before and you, you know what I'm talking about. That kind of parallel. I was expecting it, it and it didn't happen. You're right. So I'm just, I yeah, just wonder right. why they didn't. I don't know. It's, I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I do agree with Seth that I think it's just something that they've put out of their mind. The mom has just doesn't want to think about this. 
she's already pretty shocked at Peggy's choices in life and now then going this way. Yeah, there's there's one other thing. I mean, Peggy is a complicated character. She's obviously the, the sort of the revolutionary character in the, in this show. I mean, she's sexually liberated. She's living on her own in an apartment in Manhattan where her mother swore that she'd be raped. Um, she's working in a man's world. She has a man's job. And now she's going to live with a guy, a Jewish guy, on top of everything else. So, I mean, she is certainly the trailblazer in in this series. But she's still never really sure of herself in certain ways. And and I thought when she was in the office at what point, and I can't remember exactly what point in this episode, but she comes into the office and she is overhears the, the guys. It's still a men's club there. And they're joking about something, and I can't remember what it is now, but they're all laughing, and she can hear them laughing. And she walks in, and she hears them laughing, and I think there are a number of other scenes where there's all kinds of jokes in in other seasons, and I think that she thinks that the laughing is at her expense. And despite everything she's achieved and everything, her position at the firm and her position in life, she still feels a little bit self-conscious and she hears the, that laughter in the background from the men. And I think she's, she thinks it's about her. I think she is always trying to live up to the standard that she feels she's being held judged by. She wants to be another Don. She wants to be successful. This is something that she has a burden she's carrying. She started out being the secretary. She's worked this way up. You know, she tried to do what Don does many times with Heinz. It doesn't work. And Don kind of does it again. He says, like, this is the idea. This is Mm. it. And she's finding herself lacking. Yeah, and of course, we definitely should talk about Don and Ideas and and Megan, and I think that's where you wanted to go next, right? Yeah, so a wonderful casting, and of course, that goes without saying, this show always does great casting, but the in-laws from Canada that have no problem speaking French in front of Don and him looking confused as hell, like, what? And that is a dynamic that has been very interesting. You could see Don's wife, Megan, has been paying peacekeeper for a long time with those two. Oh, sure. And I think also the fact that she knows that her mother is a flirt, and she mentions that her mother has touched Don six times since she arrived, shows that, I mean, she's she's counting. (laughs) And of course, it also comes out that the mother is jealous of the father's love for Megan. Megan is the father's favorite, and the mother's a bit jealous of that. And, of course, the mother's jealous of the fact that the father is apparently not truthful to his marriage vows, and the object of his desire, apparently, is our young graduate students. Very weird dynamic, and he was not pleased with his daughter. He has felt like she has compromised, she's married an older man, a man who has children, He may not give her her own children. Talk about looking at someone and being lacking. He is judging his daughter and definitely says, you are not living up to what I expected you to do. And, of course, he doesn't approve of Don's money either. He doesn't approve of the decor of the apartment. It's too much. 
So, yeah, I mean, he's very judgmental. He's a lot like Pauline. He's a lot like some of the, plenty of the older people in this series are judgmental. Mm. Certainly uh, Peggy's mother is. And I just wanted to get on to the fact that Don and Megan and their business relationship, as you know, I mean, I, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but I've said from the very beginning that I think Megan working at Sterling Cooper, Draper Price was a an accident waiting to happen. And we haven't seen the accident yet, but... Don took credit for her idea again, um, as he took credit for Peggy's idea for the glow coat commercial um, a number of uh, seasons ago. Right. Well, I would temper that, though, because I would think that the reason why he had to, yeah. though, is because he yeah. knew that they were being fired. And the the right. guy from the beginning has been saying, is this Don's idea? Is this Don's idea? Yeah. And I think he knew to say, I had this idea and he did give her credit at certain parts that Eventually. he felt that he could. You're so right. I feel right. like, I mean, I don't think he totally just ripped all credit from her. I think that was somewhat uh, something that was necessitated by the circumstance. But, yeah, but we've seen Don rip ideas from other people and take credit for them. And he feels that it's his job to do that. I mean, that's what the money's for. You Exactly. I, I was you. both the same loan. Yeah, I pay you, he says to Peggy, after after he comes back with the Clio Award, and he says, I pay you, and you supply me with ideas. That's the job. Right. That's what the money's for. Right. No, I think it's true. I, I, but uh, at the same time, I do think I give him a pass on this one because they were, they were on life support. They were getting out the defibrillator uh, at this dinner and he was making it up on the fly. And actually my point was, I mean, you are correct. Them working together is it's, it's a recipe for, I don't know if disaster, but there's things that it, it's going to cause problems. But in this episode, especially coming off the last one where they had huge problems, I mean, they were just fighting and they were, there was just a crack in, in this ideal newlywed marriage that they've had. And this one, I was curious to see how are they going to react this time. And the way they played off each other and the way she came up to him and said, all right, we're about to be fired. And her guiding him through and him picking the ball up and running with it and scoring the touchdown, basically, and getting the, the client to say, OK, let's get some champagne. I thought they were showing that they can work together really well. Is a marvel to watch, really. I mean, they were just—he was riffing. It was a great thing. He was yeah. riffing like he—we've seen him do in the past, where you know the old carousel thing. You know, he was like just, yeah. You know, oftentimes people watch the show, they're like, oh, I just want to see Don sell whatever. Well, you got it this time. He—he yeah. he was able yeah. to, to no, do it. Was it. A beautiful scene. And speaking and, of good scenes and and selling, I thought Pete had a very small part in this show, but his scene with with Doctor Calvert, Megan's father, was beautiful. How he butters him up and says, "You're, you know, he really butters him up," and Doctor Calvert falls for it, hook, line, and sinker. And then Pete says, uh, "Yeah, that's what I do for a living. <laughs> that's what advertising's about. That's what my job's about." I really like that scene it a lot. I want to go back to Seth's point about them working together. I don't know if it's a recipe for disaster, but Megan cannot win. She is in a no-win scenario, the Kubarachi Maru, right? We're sitting there, and she's going, Don tells them to tell the idea, and they go, well, you know it's his. Yep. Or lucky, you know, beginner's luck. But it was a very good idea. Yeah. I did love seeing Don pitch it. How then do you interpret Megan's reaction the next day when Peggy's telling her, this is as good as the job gets, you should be happy, you should... And then she just didn't seem that way. And then at the dinner, the, at the ball, when her dad's telling her, you skipped all the important steps, you didn't achieve 
anything without a struggle. You have everything without any kind of effort put into it. You have all the money. You have all this job. And she's sitting mm-hmm. there. And, she, and at the last shot was them all sitting and everyone is unhappy for varying reasons. We'll get back to the Dawn thing in a second. But how do you interpret why is she unhappy? Because, I mean, she did get some credit for it. She has to realize, of course, that she's not going to get... I mean, people know it's Megan's idea, but they're not going to like tell the client that. And the conception came from her, and it's going to be birthed onto this campaign. And right. So, what is it exactly? Well, I think it's partly the same sort of problem that Roger has, or that any sort of person who inherits a lot of wealth or a lot of responsibility, not necessarily on their own merits, uh, suffers. For example. Roger and more or less inherited the job he has at Sterling Cooper Draper Price. He could be a terrific account man, but it's always going to be, oh, he got that job because of his father. Megan could be a great uh, creative person, and the guys in the, in the back room are always going to say, oh, well, you know how she got the job. She got the job because she's Mrs. Draper. Similarly, when Peggy got moved up to copywriter in previous seasons, everybody assumed that she was sleeping with Don. And look, Megan didn't struggle. She All of a sudden, she becomes a copywriter. There's no doubt she has advantages that nobody else has there. There's always going to be a little bit of a problem there. I think another good point is Peggy telling her this as good as it gets and her sadness it's almost like that feeling when you're a child, the after Christmas morning, you know, where you kind of like yeah. you've had all this yeah. anticipation and it's not that you're ungrateful or unhappy. It's just it's the letdown. Well, that was sure. it. Sure. And I think that's what she was experiencing as well. Like, OK, well, that's it. There's no ticker tape parades or this feeling. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, now we just go to the next thing. I thought that was good mentoring of Peggy to go, this is great. This is as good as it gets. Good for you. There's something else that was going on there, and I thought it was that, that Peggy was sort of standing up for sisterhood there. Yes. Um, and I thought that was very well done. But, yeah, I mean, there was also an element of, and we've talked about this in the past few weeks, Roger wanting a young, sexy wife. He gets her, and eventually he tires of her. You're absolutely right, kid, on Christmas morning. You, you know, you open the gifts, and, and it's wonderful, and then eventually, you know, the toy is left in the in the corner, and kids just run around and play much, much simpler things. <laughs> yes. We like and beginnings, we, not yeah. endings. So speaking yeah. of beginnings or endings, Roger and his ex-wife, which, by the way, is always lovely to see. He, Who looked beautiful in that scene, yes. by the way. Looked terrific. Absolutely, and her going, well, you are still supporting all of us. And then I got to thinking, wow, what is Roger all supporting? (laughs) I hope he made a lot of money when they sold the agency. He did, he did. Well, Don made a half a million, and in those days, I don't know what the inflation calculator says, but Don made a half a million, so you can imagine what Roger made. Roger must have made, what, two, three, four times that? As you said, back then, hey, half a million dollars is a lot of money right now. So you yeah, can only imagine. Now. Yeah. Yes. So Roger is now an evangelist of LSD. He is just <laughs> thinking, this is the greatest thing ever. You need to do it. I've become insightful. And Don's like, look, you know, I didn't Everybody take LSD and I figured this out. Okay. Yeah. Roger yeah. is, he struck me in this episode. Maybe he will be like this for a while, maybe forever now. But he struck me as the main character in Office Space when he goes 
to the hypnotist and is like, all right, you don't care about work anymore. And then the hypnotist dies. And for the rest of the movie, the guy is like, he's just going to work. And he's like, yeah, everything's chill. I don't care about this stuff anymore. This is whatever. Roger's like that now. He's like, oh, yeah, I've seen things, man. It's like, you know, I just have a whole new perspective on life. And you should, you know, you should try this too. And it's like, I don't care about this anymore. I'm going to go talk to my ex-wife. Because you know what? She was cool. And, you know, I'm going to ask her for a favor. Maybe she'll shoot me down. But I don't care. He is just floating around. And it's like, I'm going to go talk to these people. And oh, maybe it won't work. But I don't know. You know, he's... He doesn't seem like he's down. I think at the beginning of the season, he he seemed like he was a little bit like, oh, man, I got all this to deal with. And my wife and Pete's give me all this hassle. And now I think he's just really, truly, he's just like, oh, man, I just, I've seen the light, man. It's Oh, he's found his mojo for yeah. sure. He, he's yes. totally found his mojo. And of course, and- getting um, sexual favors from Julia Ormond couldn't hurt either. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. and, and before that, when Megan's dad says, I think by mistake, Yes, yeah. our daughters will spread their legs yes. and fly yeah, yes. away. Yeah. That was the line of the episode, no doubt. Angels spread their wings, and, <laughs> and Roger just is, everyone else is stunned silence, and Roger just cracking up. Yes, yeah. I think Megan corrects him on that. Yes, she does. She says, yeah. but uh, but I don't know if he, being the crappy character that uh, her dad is, that may have not been a uh, <laughs> translation problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might have been. I don't know. You. So let's speculate. Do we think that Creepy Glenn, who I don't think is as creepy anymore, that Creepy Glenn and and Sally are going to get together? I don't know. She's still fairly young, and it's hard to get away. Um, But it does seem like he's been a pretty nice friend to her. And I agree with you. He doesn't seem to be as creepy. Nope. Well, I don't know if I want him as like a regular character, but as a recurring character, he's kind of needed as the sounding board for Sally because she doesn't have any peers that we know of, any other friends. Unless, right. Unless they were to cast like some girl that's her school friend or something. But I think he, just because of, there's oddness about him and there's, obviously he's had plenty of memorable scenes with Betty and he brings more to the table than just some new character would. So as a recurring character, I don't mind him. I don't know if I like him as all the time, but... I guess the last thing we need to talk about is the actual dinner. This dinner was just sort of an encapsulation, for me at least, what Mad Men's all about, that everybody is full of baloney in the advertising business and that you take it into real life and and that people in real life are a lot of hot air in many ways too. And, And here we are, we've got a company that made its bones or made a lot of money off the cigarette industry and they're being honored by a cancer society. And... Don's smoking away. (laughs) Almost (laughs) everyone is at that thing. And Roger publicly says he wants to get Lucky Strike back. So talk about just everything being not what it appears to be. I mean, this is sort of a, to me, this is Mad Men in a microcosm right there. To me, that's Mad Men. Mm -hmm. And Don is told that you've bit the hand that fed you, and they will never give you business. Right. And that was a sobering moment for him because he was like, wow. In a way, it's sort of like what Megan might have been feeling. It's like, is this as good as it gets? Because he might be like, okay, well, what can I aspire to? I've always wanted to get a car account. I've always wanted to get Mm. one of the big, big accounts. And like, I think they mentioned Ford was in the room, didn't they? Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, that right there, he was like, oh, I'm never going to get a Ford. It's probably going to hit him that it, he might have hit a wall, and it that might be really yeah. damaging to his confidence and his mojo. And speaking of in-laws, and this, of course, this episode had in-laws out the wazoo. Didn't Ken 
Cosgrove's father-in-law tell Don that he's bit the hand that fed them? Wasn't that right? Ken that was Cosgrove? Ray Wise, right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. terrific character actor. Absolutely. Yeah, they're just telling him you're a mid-level agency. You're not going to get bigger. You know, you're invited to the table, but we're not going to let you fully enjoy all the spoils. And we'll give you an award, but we're not going to do business with you. A very depressing ending when they're all the three generations are there at the table and all of them looking unhappy. Yeah. It's all about, I think, again, this episode is all about people wanting to get something and they're not getting it. Uh, Peggy wanted a marriage proposal. She didn't quite get it. Don got an award, but maybe he's not going to get any more big business accounts here. I think the only one who got what he wanted uh, Roger. Well, it was Roger for for at least a few minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of Roger, I just wanted to bring up, we've mentioned a couple of times how having characters that don't yeah, regularly good, interact good with point. each other. Roger and Sally's scenes were just yeah. the best. The writing and the dialogue there was amazing, and they were just yeah. really playing well off each other. I thought that was amazing. Right, right. Yeah, no, you're uh, absolutely right. I will give Maureen Ryan the credit in her column review of it. She said she wants to see a spinoff where Roger and Sally yeah. go off and grift people. You know, that new version of yeah. What was the movie that uh, Ryan O'Neill and Tatum? Um, Paper Moon. Paper, Paper Moon. Moon, yeah. So yeah. let's do a remake of them together. They were awesome together. Yeah, they were very good together. Just kind of a summary. The season's been really strong so far. Yeah. Um, a lot of great character. I assume we will get more Betty toward the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And I'm a little surprised there wasn't more, going back to your original point, Seth, there wasn't more fallout from the big fight. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we haven't really seen much of anything from that, yeah. Yeah, they just kind of got that over. And I think we should also make a point that the white carpet, incredibly bad Uh, idea. Yes. (laughs) Let's give the kid, he's filling my fountain ink pen, and Don just looking at the kid, you know, pouring the ink. (sighs) God, this guy hated Don. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. It was a return to the more conventional episode of Mad Men, not to say that conventional in a bad way, but I thought it was uh, really well done. It hit all the main characters and the main themes we've been talking about almost since the beginning. And again, you mentioned, Jesse, the excellent casting of Megan's parents and also in terms of writing. I mean, what a way within two minutes, if you want to study a scene, just how those guys were characterized. And you knew right away the dynamic between the husband and the wife, how Megan felt towards them, how the father was protective and doting over his daughter. I thought that was really well done. Right. And of course, this coming week has to be, you know, I'm I'm really looking forward to it because, you know, the episode two weeks ago, we saw a hand job. This past Sunday, we saw, as you know what we saw. So I'm thinking next week's got to be a really good (laughs) one. Yeah, we're worried. This is uh, exactly. Of course, you can never tell, though, from the upcoming previews. I tend not to watch previews of shows that I really care about because I don't want to know anything. But for this show, mm-hmm. they don't tell you a damn thing. It's like they pick like the most obscure. Yes, they do. Oh, I know they do it purposely. They pick yeah. people like coming into a doorway saying, you want to talk to me? Yeah. They pick completely innocuous statements out of the episode. You don't know anything about what's to happen. I find it comical. I think they just get a kick out of making upcoming trailers and, and making them as plain and, and unrevealing as possible. It would be interesting to know 
do they spend a lot of time making the trailer or is it a very quick process because they just randomly pick you know three or four seconds in the each episode splice it together i am sure they spend a lot of time trying to present a theme or at least a feeling on that preview I don't get any impression at all about any themes. I think every single, if you watch the upcoming episode snippets, they're always the same. They're always, someone comes in and has a, like, you want to see me type of comment or, which could be any episode from any season. Or someone says something responding to another character, like, what do you mean about that? Taking out of context, those mean absolutely nothing. There's, I mean, compare that to some of the other shows we watch where they like, they give away almost the entire plot and, and, and of course, movie yes. trailers are, are horrible at this, where they give away everything. And uh, I just think it's funny because I usually don't watch the upcomings. And for this, I you can because I can, it's but no, <laughs> and I, but yeah, it's 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 funny to me. Very so, nice. Anyhow, I think we've covered this episode pretty well. So again, if listeners would like to comment about what they thought of certain episodes or Mad Men in general, you can find us on the web at madcast.net and also. On Facebook, if you look up Scotch and Smokes podcast. Thanks again for subscribing. Until next time, the bar is open. Thanks a lot, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.